going to do a another standalone service or sermon today, and uh, going to preach today on this thought: What's in the name? What's in the name? I'm going to turn your attention to Colossians chapter three, verse seventeen today. Colossians 3.17, and I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time breaking down this verse, but going to use it as an overarching theme and work my way through the Word of God today. Colossians 3.17 says this, Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to to him or through him to God the Father. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. God bless you. You may be seated today. It has been said that the most wonderful word in a person's language is their own name. Now, I suppose that's even true if you don't even particularly like your name, but the reason that it's it's the uh, most wonderful word is that when people use that, they're talking to you. you. You are the center of attention at that moment, and people like to be valued. They like to be talked to. They like to feel like other people care about them. And when you express a, a person's name, then oftentimes that is the result of that, is that they feel loved and they feel cherished. Now, I suppose you could use their name in vain or, or like if you were like me growing up, if my mother used my first and middle name, for many of you it's that way, that was not so special because that meant that I was in trouble. Anybody's parents do that when you're growing up? Anybody do that now to your kids? So it's, for me, it's Mark Anthony. Whenever Mark Anthony comes out, you know I was in trouble. I was doing something I wasn't supposed to. And, and even though I knew that, when I became a parent, I did the same thing. Every once in a while, I was like, Anthony Michael. And of course, you picked up that my son Anthony has his first name is my middle name. And even though I like the name Mark, I always liked Anthony better. So he got that one as his first name. But I, at times, I... I, I'm kind of oblivious to what's going on around me, especially if people are having a conversation and they're not really talking to me, that if they begin to talk to me and they don't call my name, I don't really hear what they're saying. That they can change from the person they're talking to and start talking to me, but if they just start talking and, and ask me a question, I'm most times, unless I'm just looking at them, I'm going to miss the question because... I'm, they're having a conversation, I'm not in it. So unless they call my name and say Mark and ask me a question or Mark and say something, I have no idea what, if they're even talking to me. But names are important and we value names. And As humans, we have many roles, responsibilities, we have many titles, but we only have one name that we would use to describe ourselves. When somebody says, what is your name? You're not going to tell them, well, I'm... I'm I'm a husband, and I'm a father, and I'm a son, or whatever. You're going to give them your name, the name that your parents gave you or that you decided to change somewhere along the way, but you're going to give them a name. Now, God is one, but he has many ways in which he is described. 
that when we talk about God, He is Creator or He is uh, Savior. So a lot of different things and the ways in which we can describe God, but God does have a name. And His name is important. It has been said that it wasn't really until the burning bush when Moses is at the burning bush. And if you're familiar with the story, he has been He has fled Egypt because he has killed an Egyptian and he has spent 40 years on the the backside of the desert and in that process of spending time in the desert being away from Egypt, he sees one day a, a bush that is burning but is not consumed. In that particular culture, in that particular geographical area, rather, it's not uncommon for there to be spontaneous combustion we could say it that way, because of the dryness and because of the heat and because of the type of bushes that were there, it is said that they could just randomly catch on fire. But if they catch on fire, and you know this, if you have something that's really dry and it catches on fire, it is consumed very quickly. Well, for Moses, he sees the bush burning, but what really intrigues him is that it is not being consumed. That the, the leaves and the branches aren't withering away and burning away. It's just, they're just staying on fire, not being consumed. And so he goes over, and when he does, he, he runs into God in the burning bush, and God speaks to him and tells him to take off his shoes. And you know the story. He says, this is holy ground. And ultimately, God calls Moses to go back to Egypt and be the deliverer that his people have been praying for, that the Jews, have, the Israelites have been praying for, deliver us out of our bondage. And so God is calling Moses to be that. And Moses, of course, and I, and I won't give all the details, but he doesn't really want to go back and, and confront Pharaoh. But he asks God this question, who should I say has sent me? That if I'm going back, I can't just go back and say, well, I had, I had some encounter with a burning bush, and so here I am to deliver. Maybe he says, who shall I say has sent me? And God speaks out of the bush, and he says, I am that I am has sent you. And we look at that and go, I am. What, is, what does that mean? But ultimately, what it really means is this, is that God is saying, I am the self-existent one. That while everything we see around us and everything we experience in life is created, God says, I just am. That I didn't have to be created, that I've always had a beginning, or I've always been, I didn't have a beginning and I don't have an end, I have always been. And you and I probably, at least I can't comprehend what that means. When I think of something without a beginning, God just says, I am. And it's from that moment on that they begin to call God Yahweh. Now, if you were to look in the Bible and you would look chronologically, you would see Yahweh show up in a number of other places. But it is here that God confirms his name and The word Yahweh, or the name Yahweh, appears 6,828 times in the Old Testament. Were the Jews referring to God by the name Yahweh? Now you may be more familiar with the name Jehovah. It's how we would spell it or pronounce it mostly in 
in English, and it's what is in most of the older English translations. It's pronounced Jehovah and spelled that way. But the word Yahweh or the name Yahweh, and I don't want to bore you with the theological technical details, but it comes from four Hebrew letters. And those four letters are all consonants because in, in Hebrew, the original Hebrew, they did not have vowels. And so they have these four letters, and those four letters are called, and, and you're going to want to write this down. Actually, you probably care less. It's called the Tetragrammaton. Yeah, you, you're, you're blown away, aren't you? Tetragrammaton, but it's those four Hebrew letters. And when you see in, your, in an English translation, a capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, Lord with all caps, the Hebrew behind that are those four Hebrew letters called the Tetragrammaton. And what that really is, is the name Yahweh. That God is, His name is not just Lord, His name is not just God. Those are attributes, those are characteristics, that's ways of describing Him. But the name that He uses in the Old Testament most often is Yahweh. And so when you see all caps, you know it's really His name that is behind all of that. There is, though, times when Yahweh appears with another word. These are called the compound names of God where it's, it's God, but we're describing an attribute of God and we are going to put those together. And you see that in eight different places in the Old Testament where Yahweh is put together as a compound name with some action or some attribute of God. And I want to walk through those names with you today, setting up our conclusion and so those eight things begin with this, the first time that it is used, it is called, and we would say it in English, Jehovah Jireh. It is found in Genesis chapter 22, and it says this, and Abraham called the name of this place, the Lord will provide, all capital, all capital letters, or Yahweh Jireh, or Jehovah Jireh. As it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. That God puts together this idea of His name, Yahweh, and He puts it with the word Jireh, which means to provide, and it says that God is our provider. The specifics of the story is this, is that Abraham is offering Isaac on the altar, that God has told him to take his beloved son, the promised son, and take him up the mountain of Moriah and to offer him as a sacrifice. I referenced this not too long ago. and As Abraham is walking Isaac up the mountain, Isaac not being a small child at this point, some say he could be as old as 20 or 21 at this point in his life, and he says to his father Abraham, I see the wood. And I see the fire. They don't have matches, so they're taking the fire from the camp up to the, the mountain with them to light the sacrifice. He said, I see all of that, but where is the sacrifice? And Abraham says, God will provide the sacrifice. Specifically, he says, God will provide a lamb and 
because God did provide that sacrifice and as he, the angel of the Lord stopped the hand of Abraham as he's getting ready to kill Isaac, he sees a ram caught in the thicket and he says, God has provided and he calls the name of that place Jehovah Jireh. God is our provider. And what I would tell you today is this, is that when we look at God, we can understand that he is our provider that we can still call him Jehovah Jireh today because he is our provider, that he gives us what we need. He helps us with everything that we need. And aren't you thankful that he is our provider today? I've got a lot of these, so I've got to hurry. The second time we see a compound name of God, it is in Exodus Chapter 15, verse 26, and it says this, If you diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God, and do what is right in His sight, give ear to His commandments, and keep all His statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you which I have brought on the Egyptians, for I am Jehovah Rapha. I am the Lord who heals you. The story is this. That the Israelites have come to the waters of Marah. They've been looking for water in the desert. They come to Marah, and it's named Marah because it is bitter. When they find this water, they go to drink of it, and it's bitter, and they can't drink of it. And God tells Moses to put a stick in there, and he does, and the water turns sweet. And he uses, God uses that to say that I have healed the waters. And if you follow me, I will be your healer as well. That the sicknesses and the diseases that have come upon the Egyptians that I have sent upon them, he says, I will not send upon you. And I'm thankful that God is still our healer. How many of you have ever been healed by the Lord? Some few witnesses in the house from little things to big things, God is our healer. As I tell you, on most Sundays, it doesn't matter what you have need of, God is able to do it. It doesn't matter how small it is or how big it is, God is our healer. I've personally seen blind eyes open, I've seen tumors removed, I've seen hearts healed, I've seen cancer healed. And I've told you before, God even healed athlete's foot. Some minor little thing. God heals. I went through a period of my life where, man, and maybe it was just the level of my faith, I don't know, that I'd pray for people with headaches and they would all go away, just boom, boom, boom. I wasn't seeing big miracles, so maybe my faith was small, but maybe God was just showing me that he cares about the little things. And headaches, every time I'd pray, people had a headache, they'd just go away. God cares about whatever it is that bothers us and whatever we have that is wrong. He is our healer today. And I would encourage you, make your first action when you're sick to pray. There's a story in the Bible, and this is not in my notes, but a story in the Bible of King Asa, a good king of Judah, Judah being the, the northern kingdom, 
of Israel after they split and Asa developed a problem with his feet. And the Bible says that Asa, who was a good king, sought doctors to try and heal his problem. Sought doctors trying to heal his feet and, and they're going around. He's going around looking for all the doctors and having doctors come in. And the Bible says that the doctors were unable to do anything and finally he turns to God. But God was upset at King Asa because he didn't go to God first. That he didn't seek God first. Now I'm not suggesting to you that God is going to be upset with you if, if you take an Advil or a Tylenol or go to the doctor. But I would tell you this, is that what you and I should do when we have a sickness is give God an opportunity to receive the glory. I would rather put my faith in God than put my faith in Advil. I would rather be able to say, man, I had this headache or I had this backache or I had this problem and God healed me. And now I have a testimony instead of going, well, I had this problem and I took some medicine. And if God doesn't do it right away, take your medicine. I'll tell you another story that wasn't in my notes. I'm going to have to hurry. I had shin splints once upon a time. At least I assumed they were shin splints. And if you, if you don't know what that is, it's where, uh, it's where your shins and the muscles pulling away or various things. And it could be even tiny fractures in your, your bones there. And I had been running down these steps that were about six feet long, and then they would drop about nine inches. And so in my younger days, I would, I would occasionally run down those while taking that long stride and falling even that eight to nine inches could cause damage. And I had done that, and my shins were killing me for about three weeks. And I finally said, I'm going to the, this is a Wednesday. I was like, I'm, I'm setting up an appointment. I'm going to the doctor tomorrow. And my wife asked me, well, have you had anybody pray for you? Well, that's a novel idea. I might should have somebody pray for me. Went to church on a win- that Wednesday night. After church, I, mean, I didn't fill out a prayer request so they could pray for it over the, you know, with the whole congregation there, but walked up to the pulpit at the end of service and told the pastor what was going on. I said, hey, will you pray for me? And he liked to pray for anything. He prays for me and instantly pain went away and never returned because I went to God. And what I would tell you is God is our healer, but he very seldom is going to heal us if we don't pray and if we don't take it to him. And if we put him way down the list of things we're going to try, then you get what you get. But when we say, God, I know you're able and I'm turning to you first, he will most most likely touch your body or he'll give you a reason why he's not he is our healer today as i hurry thirdly god is our victory exodus 17 15 
And Moses built an altar and called its name, The Lord is my banner. A banner here is a banner of victory or a banner of a nation that they would fight under a standard, the Bible says in, in Psalms, that the Lord will raise up a standard. That means he's going to raise up this flag that they're going to fight under. It's a flag of victory. And, and here in Exodus, quickly, Moses has been, and the Israelites have been fighting against the Amalekites. And God tells Moses to raise his hands over the valley where they're fighting. And as long as his hands are up, Israel wins. But when he gets tired and his hands drop, the enemy begins to get the upper hand and they begin to push back the Israelites. And so Aaron and Hur, they hold up the hands of Moses and they get the victory. But here then in that place, he, Moses, as to celebrate what God has done, he built an altar and he called its name Jehovah Nisi, or God is our banner. Or God is our victory. And what I would tell you today is this, is that God is our victory when we're in the battle. That we're in spiritual warfare, or just things are going on. God is our victory. And aren't you thankful that we don't have to fight the battles of life by ourselves, but we can call upon Him and He is our victory today. Would you give Him a praise today? Thank you that you are our victory. Fourthly, He is our sanctifier. Jehovah M. Kadesh in Leviticus 20 and 8, And you shall keep my statues and perform them. I am the Lord who sanctifies you. God is the one who makes us holy and He sets us apart for His purposes. God throughout the Old Testament and throughout the New Testament commands His people to live holy, to be holy. And God uses the word sanctify or to set apart, to make holy. When something is set apart for God's use, it is sanctified or it is holy. God sets apart things in the Old Testament. He sets apart the, the furniture of the tabernacle or the furniture of the temple and He sets apart people and He calls them holy. God is the one who is able to make you and I holy today. He has set us apart for His purpose and He has set us apart for His glory. In the New Testament, we are called saints or sanctified ones. God sanctifies you and I. He is our sanctifier. That He doesn't call us to be something that we can't be, but then He makes us holy in that process. He enables us to be. It's one of the reasons why we, we receive the Holy Spirit. God is holy and God is a spirit, so therefore He's Holy Spirit. And when we receive that, we not only receive power, but we receive the ability to live holy and to live godly like He wants us to. That God is in the process of conforming us to the image of Jesus Christ, making us holy and sanctified. Judges 6.24 gives us the fifth one, Jehovah Shalom, or God is our peace. Gideon has been commanded by the angel to deliver the Israelites out of bondage and 
Gideon is afraid, of course, and I won't go into all of this. And Gideon is, he sees this angel of the Lord and he, he's terrified. And that's what most people's response are when they first see an angel is they're scared to death of it. But in the middle of that, he says this after he, he recognizes that this is really an angel of the Lord. And he built an altar there and he called it, the Lord is peace. That when God comes, he brings peace. In the middle of our storm, in the middle of difficulty, God is our peace. He is the source of peace. Bible says that he gives us peace that passes all understanding. That when we have his peace, it's like, I don't even know why I can have peace in the middle of this difficulty, but God gives peace. When things are going awry and things are going wrong, we can still have peace. And Jesus says, my peace I give with you, not as the world gives, give I unto you, but my peace is going to stay with you. That you and I can have righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. The Bible talks about it, and we sing about it at Christmas time. He is the Prince of Peace. Anybody thankful for God's peace? Anybody been going through a difficulty and you just had peace knowing that God is with you and that, that God's presence and power, He's going to take care of everything? And you just have When we look around at our world today and we see the direction our world is heading, a lot of people get afraid of what's going to happen in the future. We don't have to be afraid. We can have the peace of God knowing that God is in control of all things. And even if something bad happens to us, we know that we're going to spend an eternity with Him. And so I have peace because... I know my future is secure. That I will be with him forever regardless of what takes place here. Sixthly, God is our shepherd. I'm going to hurry. Here the psalmist writes this. You know Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. It is Jehovah Rapha. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Everybody in this room is familiar with the 23rd Psalm. A psalm of comfort. The Bible likens people, specifically God's people, He equates them with sheep. There are a lot of reasons for that, most of them negative, because sheep are not the brightest animals out there. 
But in that culture where sheep is a big part of the agricultural deal, the well-being of the sheep are all about how good the shepherd is. The shepherd is the one that determines where they're going to drink, and the shepherd is the one that's going to determine where they're going to, to graze, and the shepherd is going to be the one that keeps them from predators, and the shepherd is the one that's going to, going to bind their wounds if they get injured. The Bible says that Jesus is the good shepherd and that you and I are to be sheep, that we're to follow the shepherd. Jesus would say it this way, my sheep hear my voice. They know my voice and when I speak, they follow. God is our shepherd today. Next is this, God is our righteousness. Jehovah Sidkenu is the common way of saying that. And of course, you could put Yahweh Sidkenu in there. But it means God is our righteousness. Won't go through that particular passage, but understand this that God is totally righteous. That in Him there is no thing that is unholy. He is completely holy and He is completely righteous in all of His ways. And 1 Corinthians 1.30, it tells us that, that Christ has become our righteousness. That Jesus has become our righteousness and we are declared to be righteous when we're in relationship with Him. 2 Corinthians 5.21 for he who hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And I don't want to get too overly technical. But when we look at our righteousness, as Isaiah did in Isaiah chapter 6, he says that our righteousness is as filthy rags. That the best we can do is filthy. But when you and I come into a relationship with Jesus Christ, God takes the righteousness of Christ and He puts it on us. So then when God is looking at us, we are viewed through the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That that God doesn't see our unrighteousness. He doesn't see our filthy rags, but He sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And we are righteous because of Him. He doesn't just make us righteous. He is our righteousness. And lastly, God is present. Ezekiel 48, 35. And speaking of the new temple in the new Jerusalem, and after describing this city and this temple, he ends the verse with this. And the name of the city, from that shall they shall be. The Lord is there. 
Jehovah Shema. The Lord is there. And ultimately what he's saying is this, is that God is going to be present. And I realize that God is, is present with us now. But there is something different that seems to be taking place then, that, that God is present today in the power of the Holy Spirit, and that we can experience His presence and we can experience Him, but there's going to be something different because He Himself will be there. Not just filling His present, but presence, but He is going to make His, if I could say it this way, He is going to make His abode in that city. It is the city of God, and it will be called the Lord is there. Anybody thankful that God is present with us today? But I'm looking forward to that day when we are present with Him at all times. And it's not just the, the power of the Holy Spirit that we, we can feel His manifest presence, but we will be able to know that He is there all the time. That's a long list. He is our provider, our healer. He is our victory. He is our sanctifier, our peace, our shepherd, our righteousness. He is present. But the last thing that I want to point out to you today is this. It's that everything that I just mentioned and more is in the name of Jesus. That when we call on the name of Jesus, we get everything that God is. That everything He is is now present with us. I don't have to know Jehovah Sidkenu or Jehovah Rapha or Jehovah Ra or Jehovah Shalom Jehovah M. Kadesh All I have to know is Jesus that when we call upon the name of Jesus everything is encapsulated in that name I'll preach about it probably next week on the specifics of what the name of Jesus means from the Christmas story but just know that everything is in the name of Jesus as Paul wrote in Colossians 3 17 whatever you do in word or deed do all in the name of the Lord Jesus friend of mine was talking to a person about baptism and this particular individual is from Africa and he followed the tradition started some 200 years after the apostles of baptizing people in the titles Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. 
instead of in the name of Jesus. And when you look through the book of Acts, every person who's baptized is baptized in the name of Jesus. No exceptions. It could be Lord Jesus or Jesus Christ or Lord Jesus Christ, but everybody's baptized in the name of Jesus. And as he talked to this individual, he asked him, he said, you guys cast out demons in the Sudan. You guys, oh man, we have a lot of demons. We cast out a lot of demons. He asked him, he said, do you cast the demons out by saying, come out of them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost? The guy's response was, no, we don't do that. We cast out demons in the name of Jesus. He said, there's no authority and no power titles Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. And then he realized what he was saying. He said, we need to baptize in the name of Jesus. Because that's where the authority and that's where the power is. That everything that you and I need is in the name of Jesus. It is God's saving name. And we take on that saving name in baptism. We become part of His family when we take on His name. And all of you, no doubt, understand and know that we have to be in relationship with Him. If I just sum it up, everything we need is in the name of Jesus. We don't have to remember them all. We just need to know Jesus. For those of us who follow the biblical practice and the teaching of the apostles and baptize in the name of Jesus, there's a phrase that's used that we are people of the name. We don't call on God as, oh, Creator. Oh, our Sanctifier. We don't say, God, our righteousness. We just call on Jesus. Because everything is in the name. So what's in the name today? Whatever you need. Whatever God wants you to be. Who, whatever God is, and all of that is in the name of Jesus. Would you stand together today? I want you to do three things. I want you to look to Jesus for whatever you need. If you need deliverance, He is that. If you need healing, He is that. If you need victory, He is that. If you need peace, He is that. He is everything we need today. So look to Jesus whenever you have a problem. Just call on His name. And I would encourage you to do that daily in prayer and praise. And even if you don't have a problem, but to call on Jesus.
because everything is in His name. And thirdly, I would say this. If you haven't taken on the name of Jesus in baptism, I would ask you to prayerfully look at the Scripture. Because it's the only way to be baptized in the New Testament. When we're baptized in His name, we become part of His family as we call upon Him. Would you just talk to the Lord from where you are right now? Jesus, we love you today. Thank you that everything we need is in the name of Jesus. Everything we need is in the name of Jesus today. God, we love you.